this morning we are going to continue and actually wrap up our series that we began a few weeks ago entitled One Church, One Vision, Multiple Locations. And uh, we've been talking about who we are as a church. We've been talking about why we exist as a church. We've been talking about uh, where we're going, how we're going to get there. And last Sunday we talked about God's financial plan for sustaining and supporting the vision that he has for his house and for his people. And today we're going to really answer a question. Today may be the most important of all the four weeks that we've been talking about this vision because we're going to answer a question that's really going to hopefully drive home why we're doing what we're doing and make it very personal in every person's life that's here today. But real quick, let me remind you of a couple things. Number one, our target date to launch our Holly Pond campus is Easter 2019. Come on. Anybody excited about seeing God move and God work? So Easter 2019, we're going to be launching our Holly Pond campus and super excited about branching out in a brand new community to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to remind you of is that tonight at 6.30, we're having our interest meeting, right? It's the first of many interest meetings. And the, person, the, the purpose of this meeting tonight, as I already alluded to uh, before our offering, is that we're going to do a couple things specific tonight that we want you to be a part of. Number one, this meeting tonight is not just for people that are interested in the Holly Pond campus. This is for anybody that is a part of the Liberty Church family, right? So if you're a part of the Liberty Church family, we want to see you here tonight at 6.30. And we're going to announce some numbers as far as pledges and commitments that are going to be made. We're going to be recognizing, as I said, our launch team. We're going to be laying hands on some of the key people that are going to be leading the charge in Holly Pond and blessing them and commissioning them before the Lord. And we're going to be giving you a real opportunity tonight uh, to make a fresh commitment, not just in Holly Pond, but in Arab, so you can continue to be a part of what God is doing through Liberty Church and through this body of believers as we kind of tap in to God's plan for our lives right here in Arab, Alabama. So we're super excited about that. Let me give you just a real highlight real quick. Tonight at the end of the service, one of the greatest challenges we have with multi-service uh, church is uh, having enough time for some good fellowship. So tonight at the end of the service, uh, we're going to have some awesome refreshments, some food, and we're going to have some fellowship. So when we wrap up tonight, we're just going to hang out together, we're going to eat together, and we're going to enjoy some fellowship together. So we want you to come tonight. Let me just say this, the food and fellowship is going to be worth the whole meeting. Uh, we're going to have a great time together, but we do want you to come back tonight and just share with us and plan on hanging out, okay? Just plan on hanging out with us and uh, let's just talk together tonight and have some fun together tonight as we just relax and uh, enjoy the journey that God has us on. And so that's pretty important. How many know that's pretty important to enjoy the journey along the way? So Proverbs 29 verse 18 has been our foundational scripture. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And the word perish literally means cast off restraints. And so we said the opposite of that verse is simply this, where there is a vision, there are divine restraints, right? When there is a vision, there are divine restraints that govern your life. And we were very clear and have tried to be very clear over the years that the vision of Liberty Church is very simple. There are some divine restraints that govern who we are and what we do and how we do it. And so just simply look at that next statement. We said that the vision of Liberty Church is simple, right? It really is simple. We want to reach out and we want to raise up. We exist as a church to reach out into a broken, hurting world and raise people up into their full potential in Jesus Christ. That is why we are here today, right? And as a matter of fact, you are here today in Christ. If you're a Christian, any Christians in the house today, let me hear you out there. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ today because somebody reached out to you and somebody helped to raise you up. Aren't you glad you're not where you used to be? 
Amen. Aren't you glad you can look back on your Christian journey and remember when you used to be like that and you used to say things like that and you used to do things like that? But praise God, that's not who I am anymore. Why? Because somebody along the way has not only been reaching out to you, but somebody along the way has been helping to invest in you and raise you up to be the person that you are today. And I'm glad God's not done with me, but I'm glad I'm not who I used to be. And I'm excited about the journey, and I really hope that you are too. Amen? It's a great journey to be a part of. If you look at that next point, we also said that back in September, the Lord spoke very clearly to me. And he said, Keith, I want you to plant Dollar Generals and not Walmarts. And he said that every, every community deserves a life-giving church and that any community that can support a Dollar General can support a life-giving church. And so we spent a couple weeks talking about our strategy and planting small churches that are going to have a big impact, right? Our goal is not the biggest church. Our goal is North Alabama's greatest church. And we said the way you build a great church is a great church has to have a great impact and it has to have great influence in a community, right? Because our goal is to begin to impact and control and create the culture of community. How many know the church ought to create the culture, not the world? Right? We ought to be defining the culture of our community, not Hollywood, not Facebook, not Instagram, not Twitter. We ought to be defining the culture of our community because the body of Christ is the greatest force, greatest organization, greatest implementation of believers coming together, of anything else on the planet. And I believe God intends us to make a difference and impact our community. And so our vision and our goal is to begin to go into different communities and build great churches, small churches with a great impact and great influence and begin to change the culture of communities for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of y'all believe that's a good idea? We ought to be a part of making a difference and a cultural change in our community. So let's answer this question together today. I said this may be the most important question that we answer through this entire series. And here's the question. Why does this matter to you? <laughs> why does this matter to you? I've talked to a lot of people over the last few weeks and everybody understands why I'm excited, Right? Pastor Keith, it's your church and it's your vision and no wonder you're excited because this is exciting for you. But I want you to understand, as a matter of fact, let me just clarify a couple things to you today. This is not my church. This is God's church. And if you're a Christian and you're a part of the Liberty Church family, this is your church. Right? So it's God's church and it's our church, but it's not my church. Praise God I don't own a church. I am so excited. I do not own a church. That makes me so happy because I don't ever want to own a church. Why? Because it's God's church. Right? This is not my church, this is his church, and this is our church, right? And we're a part of God's community. And guess what? It's not my vision, it's God's vision for his church. God is passionate about reaching people. God is passionate about winning souls. God is passionate about making disciples. God is passionate about destroying the works of the devil. God is passionate about reaching out and raising people up into who they were created and called to be by his son and by his spirit and by his word as he works in people's lives. And so it's not my church, it's God's church, it's our church, it's not my vision, it's his vision for his church, and that is important. Amen? So why does this matter? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons why this should matter to you, and then we're going to talk about that as we kind of break it down and work through it together. First of all, let me give you this thought. Why does this matter to you? Well, it matters because there are five types of churches and there are five types of Christians and where you go to church dramatically affects what kind of Christian you are. Now, let me explain that and validate that statement on the screen. Over the last six months, I've really been studying and looking at, I mean, for years I've looked at church growth and, and read books and all the different things that are coming out on church growth and multiplication, advancing the kingdom and discipleship. 
Uh, but over the last six months, I've really been looking at planning churches and campuses and those types of things. And one of the statistics that I've come across consistently is that basically, statistically, there are five types of churches out there. And we're going to talk about those five types of churches this morning. But this week as I was in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Keith, not only are there five types of churches, but those five types of churches actually represent five types of Christians. Because where you go to church dramatically affects what kind of Christian you are. How many of you know association actually determines elevation? You're never going to rise above the people you surround yourself with. Right? And if you go to a church that is complacent, then guess what? You're going to be complacent. If you go to a church that has no vision or mission to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're probably going to drift into a mentality where reaching people for Christ is probably not a priority in your Christian life. Now let me just give you some great good news, and you've heard me say this many times. I'm a part of a local fellowship of pastors here in Arab. There's about 10, 12 of us guys that meet every month, and we are blessed in Arab, Alabama, because there are a lot of great churches. I mean, there are a lot of great churches, and we got some great churches and great pastors and great leaders in this community that are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are blessed to live in the place that we live. But I want you to understand where you go to church dramatically impacts and influences the type of Christian life that you live. And I believe all of us can probably agree that's true. Now let me give you another statement. This statement is more important than that statement, but I'm going to connect them together. Why does all this matter to you? Why does all this stretching and all this growing and all this launching and all this reaching and all this raising up even matter to me and you? Why should you even be concerned? Because one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for what you did with what Jesus did for you. One day, each and every person is going to stand before God and give an account for their life. Romans chapter 14 says it this way. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. One day, each and every person in this room is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our lives. But I want to break it down just a little bit further. Not only are we going to give an account for our lives, we're going to give an account to God for what we did with what Jesus did for us. Now, if you're like me, if you're here today, you're a Christian, a bunch of you clapped and raised your hands while go and said you're a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, guess what? There's probably a bunch of things God's done for you. I can tell you a few things he's done for me. Number one, he saved me. He redeemed me. He forgave me. He healed me. He delivered me. He set me free. He restored me, right? He's guided me. He's blessed me. He's protected me. And he continues to show up and he continues to show out on my behalf almost on everyday basis. Amen. How about you? Does that sound like what God's done in your life? So in light of what Jesus has done for you, what have you done with what Jesus has done? Because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account to God for what you did with what Jesus did for you. What you did with what Jesus did for you. And so the reason all this matters is because if where you go to church determines what kind of Christian you are, then we want to create a church and create Christians that can one day stand before God and not be ashamed or afraid, but be excited about the fact that we have lived our lives on purpose for His glory, for His honor, living our lives God's way, so that we can anticipate the day of judgment, not with fear and trembling, but with an attitude of excitement, knowing that we have on purpose lived for Him and Him alone. That my life can be a life that really matters because my life was lived for the things that matter to God. And we want to empower you. We want to create a place here at Liberty Church where every Christian 
can be dramatically impacted and influenced by the culture that we create in this church that's going to cause you to live a Christian life in such a way that when you stand before God, you won't have to be afraid of all the things you didn't do because you're going to know that you lived your life on purpose for His glory. And you can anticipate a day of judgment as a day of reward because you know that you didn't squander your life on things that didn't matter, but you actually gave your life to the things that honor and matter to God. And that's an awesome thing. So why does this matter? It matters. Because where you go to church affects how you live your life. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for what you did with what Jesus did for you. And we want to help you make that day a good day. A day filled with reward and not dread. Because we lived on purpose for him and for the things that matter. Amen? So, let's talk about the five types of churches and the five types of Christians. And we're just going to call them level one through level five. And these are just basic statistics that I've got as I begin to study over the last, really last six months, but for many years studying church growth. But level one churches are what's called declining churches. And level one churches or level one Christians are focused on surviving, right? If you are a level one Christian and you're in a declining mode, which means that your, your relationship with Christ is not increasing and growing stronger. As a matter of fact, it may be shifting and fading away. And you're in a survival mode Christianity, right? You're in a survival mode Christianity where you're just fighting to hold on and just, just, just keep hold of what you've got for just one more day, one more hour, one more moment. As a matter of fact, I have found out that people that live in a survival mode mentality, you can identify them pretty quickly because if you listen to them talk, the devil's always after them. What do I mean by that? They're always on the defense. They're in survival mode because they're always on the defense. They're never on the offense. They're never taking ground. They're never moving forward. They're just always fighting the latest, greatest demon. And what amazes me is I just make some observation. I'm kind of, a, I try to be an observant person. What amazes me is that I have found out that seemingly the people that the devil attacks the most are doing the least, and the people that are doing the most, the devil doesn't seem to mess with them too much. And it makes me wonder. What's the difference? Here's the difference. When you get in a survival mode, you're on defense. And all you can see is your enemy, and all you can see is your problems, and all you can see is your difficulties, and all you talk about and think about and pray about and live about is the problems and difficulties and challenges of your life. Why? Because you're just trying to hold on one more day. I'm just trying to survive. Now, as I was doing a little research to this, uh, I came across this little study put out uh, by, by the psychological community. I thought, well, that's always interesting to find out what the psychological community has to say. And, uh, but anyway, they, they had some pretty good questions. So there's actually a, there's actually a, a prognosis that they make. They, they literally call it the survival mode mentality. And they have four questions they ask people to help determine whether they're in survival mode. And I thought, man, these questions are just right on point because they apply to our lives today, even as Christians. So here's the first question. Are you reacting to normal situations with fear? If you're in survival mode, you react to normal situations with fear. How many of you know that life has bumps and bruises and problems and difficulties and challenges? Everybody's car breaks down. Everybody's washing machine tears up. Everybody has everything that happens to them, right? Everybody. Right? You, you have never met a person that does not have problems, difficulties, challenges, and issues in their life. Every single day, stuff happens to every single person. But if you're in survival mode, all of a sudden, those tragedies and trials and troubles and tribulations seem like God's picking on you. You ever heard somebody say, I just don't know why God is doing this to me. 
right? You get up and you got a flat tire and you don't know why God's doing this to you. God's not doing that to you. You parked in a bed of nails. But if you're in a survival mode of Christianity, all of a sudden normal everyday problems and difficulties overwhelm you with fear and you overreact to those problems like the world has ended or like God has got your number and he's trying to take vengeance upon you. Let me just tell you today, God is not against you. God is for you. And if he wouldn't, you wouldn't be here today. Amen? So that's the first character. The second question they ask is, are you always worried about what might happen next? If you're a survival-minded Christian, you live in worry mode. You worry about tomorrow. You worry about the bills. You worry about this. You worry about that. And, and I understand, hey, we all have genuine concern, right? We all are concerned about our family. We're concerned about our finances. We're concerned about our world. We're concerned about all these things that are going on. But how many of you understand there's a line where you cross from being concerned about your life to worrying about your life where it becomes detrimental to your future? It becomes detrimental to your daily health and well-being. Why? Because worry robs you of the energy you do have to change something and causes you to never change. And so when you are in a survival mode mentality, you worry about everything. You're always worried about the next thing that might happen in your life. I meet young people who grew up in divorced homes, and maybe you're here today, maybe you've grown up in a divorced home, and I've met 16 15, 16, 17-year-old kids that are worried about when they grow up and get married, are they going to be divorced? That's a real concern. But it shouldn't be something that plagues you at night and robs you of the peace and the joy that God wants to give you. So if you are in survival mode, you find yourself constantly overwhelmed by worry. Look at the next question here. Let me give it to you. They said, do triggers often remind you of your traumatic past experiences now there are always things that happen in our life that sometimes have us those little flashback moments where we flash back to those things that happen but how many of you realize today that if you're constantly living in yesterday's regrets and failures and mistakes and shortcomings you cannot embrace today's potential and you cannot step into tomorrow's future and one of the one of the symptoms of being in survival mode is that you're always thinking about yesterday you're locked into yesterday, right? Survival mode Christians always talk about the good old days. Boy, you remember when God used to work. You remember when this used to happen. You remember, oh, the glory of God fell. That ain't happened in years. I wish we could just go back to the good old days. If you went back to the good old days, you know what you'd realize? They're not that good. Because <laughs> we have a crazy way of thinking, right? The further you get away from something, the better it, it seems. But back in the day when you were having the good old days, they weren't that good. You were wishing for some better days. But a survival-minded mentality causes you to be constantly looking back instead of looking ahead to what God has for you. The last question they ask is, do you isolate from others to avoid being hurt? Survival-minded mentality produces isolation, right? Churches that are declining and Christians that are in a declining mode of Christianity or in a survival-minded mentality, they begin to isolate and separate themselves from other Christians. Why? Because if you're in survival mode, you think there's not enough to go around. So if I get too close to you, you might take something from me that I need. 
So I don't have enough to share, so I've got to separate myself from other people because if I get too close, right? For some, somehow you get in that survival mode and, and you start thinking, if they're happy, they're, then I can't be happy, right? Because there's probably not enough joy for everybody to share. And if they've got peace, I probably can't have peace because there's not enough peace to go around. And if their marriage is good, my marriage probably won't be good because there's surely not enough of that good stuff happening in our world today. So I've got to separate myself from everybody because I've got to keep and guard what I've got so nobody else gets it. And what's crazy is I've shared with you about our pastor's fellowship. This is what I've learned over about eight, nine years of us meeting together. The larger the church is, the more apt the pastor is to come together and associate with other churches. The smaller the church is, the more apt that pastor is to stay disconnected and not associate with other churches. And that's crazy because you think it would be just the opposite, right? You think the pastor of the smaller church would want to connect with some of the bigger churches so they can tap into some of the resources and build some relationships with other people. But what happens if you stay in a declining state of of, uh, survival mode long enough, you begin to isolate yourself from other people because you somehow think if I get around them, they might take what I've got. And that happens not just to churches, it happens to Christians. Level two. Level 2 churches and level 2 Christians are what is simply just called plateaued. And they focus on maintaining. They're in maintenance mode. Right? Maintenance mode. we got a lot of maintenance mode Christians, right? Maintenance mode Christians, they're just doing the same old thing over and over and over again. How do you know you're in maintenance mode? You are bored with your Christianity. You are bored with your Christianity. You know why you're bored with your Christianity? Because if you're in maintenance mode, you do not have a vision or a dream for a greater tomorrow. If you're in maintenance mode, you're just holding on to what you've got and there is no dream and there is no vision for greater growth, greater maturity, or greater things. And one of the tragedies that I experience as a pastor is I talk with Christians all the time. Most of the Christians I meet have no real vision for their life. No real vision for their future. No real spiritual vision for what God wants to do in their life. And that breaks my heart. Why? Because if you plateau out and all of a sudden you just focus on maintaining what you got, you're going to begin to get bored with your Christianity. Why? Because you're just going to keep doing what you've always done, getting what you've always got, until you finally shift from being plateaued to declining, right? Right? Because if you stay plateaued long enough where you're just maintaining what you've got, all of a sudden you're going to shift into a survival mode mentality that's going to pull you away from any kind of real growth or life. So let me ask you a question. What is your vision for your life? What is your vision for the next level that God wants to take you in? Spiritually, relationally, financially, what is that vision? You need a vision for what God wants to do. Why? Because you don't want to live a level two Christian life. You don't want to maintain and just hold on till Jesus gets back. How many know we were not saved, set free, and made whole just so we could maintain what we got? We were saved, set free, and made whole so we could help other people get saved, set free, and made whole. Amen? And give away what God has given to us. The third level. Now, let me just back up right there. Let's just keep that. They can't go back to number two again. Plateau, let me give you that. 80%, I don't know if I told you that, guys. 80% of all Christians and 80% of all churches are either plateaued or declining. 80%. Level three. Level three churches are adding. They are focused on growing. So a level three church or level three Christian is a Christian or a church that's focused on growing. We want to add people to our church. We want to grow and become 
bigger or better than what we are right now. 15% of all churches find themselves in that addition level. 15% of all churches in America are actually growing. They're focused on growing their church. And let me just say this to you today. Growing's a good thing, amen? God wants you to grow. God wants you to mature. God wants you to become better. But there's a snare here. There's a snare in this element. And let me just share this snare with you. There's a snare here because if you stay at this place where you're just focused on growing, and let me say, for 20 years, Liberty Church has been focused on growing. We want to grow our church, right? But if you're not careful, your desire to grow and to grow your church can shift you into a place where you begin to look at other churches and other Christians as competition instead of family. Let me tell you what's happened. In the last four years, there have been three new churches that have been planted in Arab, and I'm talking right now with a, with a pastor that's getting ready to plant another church in Arab probably next year. And in the last four years, every time a new church comes to Arab, I have people in our church start coming to me, and they say, Pastor Keith, what are we going to do? Did you hear they're starting another church? Why are they starting another church in Arab? Lord, I just do not understand. Don't they know we're a small community? We don't need any more churches. And why are they starting another church in our community? I just don't understand it, Pastor Keith. Why would they want to come to Arab and start another church? All of a sudden, when you shift, right, when it's all about growing your church, then every other church becomes competition. And all of a sudden, instead of embracing other churches and Christians and believers, you begin to separate and isolate yourself from other churches and Christians. Let me tell you what has never happened in the last four years. In the last four years, I've never had anybody come to me and say, Pastor Keith, did you hear that new restaurant is opening up and they're going to have a bar in it? And don't they know that there is a real drug and alcohol problem here in Arab, Alabama? And I cannot believe that there's going to be another place in Arab where people are going to be able to get drunk and get intoxicated. What are they thinking about? Are they not even worried about our families? Are they not worried about our kids? Are they not even thinking about the, the generational curses that are being passed on in our communities? I've not had one person do that to me. Isn't it interesting that we're more concerned about churches coming to our town than we are about beers, bar joints coming to our town? Isn't that amazing? I'm just going to tell you. I can't tell you how many pastors from other states I've heard call me and say, Pastor Keith, we got new churches coming to our town. What are we going to do? Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Because God's up to something big in your community. Right? I travel. I get opportunity to travel and everywhere I go. I tell people about our little town, 8,500 people, and I tell people about new churches coming to our town all the time, and, I, and people ask me, well, why do you think all those churches are coming to Arab? I say, there's no doubt about it, because the glory of God is in Arab, Alabama. The glory of God is in Arab, Alabama. Right? Why wouldn't you want to come here is what I want to know. God's up to something big. Right? And we're not in competition with other churches. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Because the goal is not about keeping sheep. The goal is about making disciples. Right? It's not about keeping sheep. It's about making disciples. And I've told people a lot, I'll tell you again, if you're not happy at Liberty Church, I'll help you find another church because I think church ought to be fun. Right? I don't understand people that go to church and they're mad all the time. Go to a different church. 
right? And if you don't like this church, I'll really, seriously, I will honestly help you. I can introduce you today before you go home to three other pastors in this community that would love to have you in their church. And I want to help you find a place where you can be happy. If you're happy here, let your face know it and smile and get involved and tell somebody about the good things that God is doing. But you know what? Life is too short to go to church and be miserable. Level three Christians are focused on growing, and that's a good thing because one of my personal goals, let me just say, one of my personal goals is I want to grow every day. I want to learn something new, and I want to grow every day. I want to be a better husband, better father, better pastor, better preacher, better person every single day of my life. That's one of my personal goals. I want to grow. But if, if you're not careful, that, that desire for personal growth can cause you to be a self-centered Christian. And all of a sudden, your Christianity will be all about you because I want to grow. Right, and I want to go where I grow, and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that because I need to grow, and I need to grow, and I need to grow, and I need to grow. Let me tell you, the greatest need in the American church, the greatest need in the American church is not money. Money's number two. The second, the first, the greatest need in the American church is volunteers. Volunteers. We have churches filled with people, and we got a handful of people in those churches that are willing to serve and volunteer on any given Sunday. How is that possible? How is it possible that, that you can have a church of 300 or 400 or 500 or 1,000 and not have enough people to greet people as they walk in the door and work in the nursery and run the media and take care of the youth and reach out in the community? How is it possible with that many people, you don't have enough people to make the difference and fill the slots that need to be filled just on a Sunday morning, not to mention the other nights of the week that you have ministry? i tell you how it's possible. Christians are level three, and they get deceived into thinking that it's all about me to such a degree, right, that I can't serve because it's all about me. And I just need to be fed, and I just need to be fed, and I just need to be fed. I believe many of us are fed to death. Yeah, we need to be fed, but we need to, we need to serve, amen? And we're launching our Holly Pond campus with two services, and we're always going to launch every campus we have with two services. And the reason we do that is, number one, we want to make room for people, but number two, we have a philosophy here at Liberty called Sit One, Serve One. We want you every Sunday to be able to come and sit in a service and serve in a service. Sit one and serve. We want you to be ministered to, but we also want to create a place for you to minister to other people. Why? Because I believe that real growth and real maturity is not based on how much knowledge you have. It's based on what you do with the knowledge God has given you. Yeah. Amen? And so level three is growing church. It's a good place to be, but it's not a good place to stay. Look at level four. This is where we want to move. We want to shift to a level four, level five, church and Christianity. Level four is reproducing. Four percent of all churches are reproducing. A reproducing church or a reproducing Christian is focused on discipleship. So there's a shift now. So it goes from now, not only do I want to grow, but now I want to help you grow. That's what discipleship's all about. Discipleship is about, yes, I got to continue to grow because leaders are learners and I got to continue to grow, but I also want to make sure that I'm growing with the goal of helping you to grow, right? So I want to reproduce. I want to reproduce life in you and I want to help you grow and I want to help you become and I want to help you discover who God has called you to be. I want to help you grow and become. That's what reproduction is all about. It's about reproducing the life of God in the hearts and lives 
of other people. Reproducing churches and reproducing Christians focus on what can I do to help you grow. Number five, the fifth level, is multiplying. 0.005% of all churches are multiplying churches. The focus of a multiplying church is on advancing the kingdom of God. Advancing the kingdom of God. So it's not about how many people we can get to come to our thing. It's about how many people we can get doing God's thing. <laughs> right? It's not about our thing, it's about God's thing, right? We want people to come to our thing. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's honest. But the reality is the goal is not to see how many people we can get to come to our thing. The goal is to multiply so we can get more people doing God's thing in more ways and fashions than we ever imagined. Amen? And so that's what multiplying is all about. It's focused on not just now discipling people, but now we want to release people. Let me give you a great revelation today. Every person in this room has the potential and ability to release other people into God's gifts and callings for their life. And if you don't believe me, think about your own life for just a minute. Think about your own life for just a minute. Because every one of you in this room, along your journey of faith, you have had people that have encouraged you, people that have challenged you, people that have maybe even confronted you, but people that have helped you along your journey of life that have helped push you and release you into the things of God that you're doing right now. And let me tell you what I know about that person. 99.9% .9 of the time, that person was not a pastor. Wasn't a pastor. It was everyday ordinary Christians who caught the vision of God to reproduce and multiply. People that said, hey, I want to disciple people, but I don't want to just stop by discipling them. I actually want to release them. Because that's what discipleship is all about, into what God has called them to do. And each of us have been released into different areas of life and ministry because somebody came alongside us, invested in us, and then encouraged us and maybe even kicked us a little bit to help us get out of the nest and start doing some things we had never done before. Now, here's a defining question. What level are you? What level are you? On level one to five, are you in survival mode? Are you in maintenance mode? Are you in growth mode? Are you in reproduction mode? Or are you in multiplying mode? What level are you at? Now, let me give you some good news. And why is that important? Why are we taking that evaluation? We're taking that evaluation because you can't, you can't go to where you want to be until you know where you're at. Right? So that's step one. You've got to know where you're at. So this honest evaluation helps me know. You need to really write a number out there. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five. Where are you at right now? Not where did you used to be, not where do you want to be. Where are you at right now based on the definitions we just gave you for each of those levels of church and Christianity? Now, let me give you some good news. Jesus modeled level four and level five Christianity. Jesus modeled level four and level five Christianity. He focused on discipleship and multiplication. Did Jesus focus on growth? Yeah, there was a time in Scripture where the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and with people. Right? Jesus had to grow. But the, the, the emphasis of his ministry was not personal growth. The emphasis of his ministry was discipleship and multiplication. Yes, Jesus had to grow, and he was the Son of God. He probably had a little advantage we don't have maybe, right? But he was all God, but he operated as all man, so we can do what he did. Amen? We can do what he did. And he did grow, and I believe he continued to grow. But the reality is, is the emphasis of his ministry was not personal growth. The emphasis of his ministry was discipleship and multiplication. 
let me give you some good news. Let's look at this scripture here. Mark chapter 3. The Bible says, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Let me give you four things right here. And we're going to wrap up with these four thoughts. Four things, everyone in this room, if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to give you four things today that every person in this room can do starting today to become a level four, level five Christian. Four things every person in this room can do today. You can start today to become a level four, level five Christian. And we're going to base it off the life and example of Jesus who lived a level four, level five Christian life. Number one is simply this, focus on the few, not the multitudes. Bigger is not better, better is better. Focus on a handful of people. Jesus spent 73% of his time with the 12. There are 46 recorded events with the 12 and 17 recorded events with the multitudes. Jesus ministered to the multitudes, but he discipled the 12. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. Right out there beside that, some homework for this week, okay? Let me give you some homework. Right out beside that, I want you to write down the names of three people that you could begin to invest in. Three people. Now let me just say this to you. Men disciple men and women disciple women. And let me tell you why that's true. Because for a man to be taught how to be a man of God, he needs a man of God. For a woman to be taught how to be a woman of God, she needs a woman of God. Men disciple men, women disciple women. Amen? It keeps it pure, it keeps it holy. And the truth is, a woman can't teach a man how to be a man of God, and a man can't teach a woman how to be a woman of God. Men need men, and women need women. So I want you to identify three people that you are spiritually ahead of. You might say, well, Pastor Keith, I, got, I just got saved last month. Wonderful. There was somebody who got saved last week. And you're ahead of them. Right? Everybody in this room is spiritually ahead of somebody else in this room. You know people that are already in your life. You already have a casual relationship with them that you know spiritually you're ahead of them in the journey. And you're not better than them. You're not, quote, even smarter than them. But you are ahead of them. And you have something to teach them. You have something that you could give them. So just identify three people this week that you could say, I already have a relationship with, and I believe I could invest in these three individuals. Number two, focus on relationship and not curriculum. Focus on relationship and not curriculum. The Bible says that Jesus appointed the 12 that he might be with them. Now, I love curriculum. I am the curriculum king. I love curriculum. I love books. I love studies. I love all those things. But let me just say this to you. There is a, there is a revelation about discipleship that is really true. Most of discipleship is caught and not taught. Most of discipleship is caught and not taught. It's the relationship that sharpens people, right? As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Look at that next statement. Discipleship is more than mentorship. Mentorship says meet with me, but discipleship says follow me. Jesus didn't tell the disciples, hey, come meet with me once a month and we'll read a book together. No, that's good, that's fun, that's awesome, I love doing that stuff. Jesus said, come follow me. Let's walk together, let's live life together, let's do some things together. Because as we just begin to build a relationship together, iron begins to sharpen iron. Why? Because real discipleship is caught, not taught. Now let me prove it to you. Go ahead and take your outline, flip it over on the back. Go ahead, everybody flip it over on the back. You got your outline, flip it over on the back. Let me prove to you that discipleship is caught and not taught. 
So this is all I want you to do on that back of the piece of paper right there. I want everybody in here to write down the last three sermon series that I taught at church. No, you can't count this one. Let me tell you the truth. I don't remember them. And you don't either. I tell myself I'm a good preacher, but you don't remember what I preached. You can't write down the last three sermon series I preached. Do you know why? Because discipleship is not what is taught. Discipleship is what is called. You know what you can tell me? You know what you can write down? You can write down the name of the people that has been invested in you and walked with you and cried with you and wiped snot with you and went through hell and high water with you. You can write down the names of those people. You can write down the moments in time where you learned something that changed your family. You learned something that changed your finances. You learned something that changed your spiritual life. Why? Because you were in relationship. And if this wasn't true, I'd be greatly offended. Nobody can remember my sermons. But I'm not greatly offended because it's true. Discipleship is caught, not just taught. Let me give you number three. Focus on sending, not seeding. Focus on sending, not seeding. It's not about bigger, right? It's not about bigger. It's about better. Focus on sending people. Jesus brought them in. Look what the scripture says. He, brought, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Jesus brought them in to send them out. We need to clarify what discipleship is really all about. Discipleship is not about gathering three people around you and y'all being BFS for the rest of your lives and nobody else ever gets to come into your little clique. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is bringing people in for a specific season so you can release them out to do what God has called them to do. That's discipleship. Right? That's discipleship. Bring people in so you can send them out. Let me tell you one of my personal visions and goals for my life. I want to raise up 1,000 laboring leaders. That's my prayer. I've been praying that for years. I want to raise up 1,000 laboring leaders. That's a phrase the Lord gave me years ago. Jesus said the laborers are few, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I began to pray for a thousand laboring leaders. And my personal goal is I want to raise up a thousand men of God that are going to labor in the harvest and lead God's people to do what he's called them to do. Why? Because you want to bring people in so you can send people out. That's, that's, what, that's what discipleship's all about. Focus on sending people, not seeding people. It's not about how big your group is. It's not about how big your church is. It's not about how big your ministry is. It's about how many people are you releasing to go back out and do what God's called to do. Now, there's four letters on the word on the screen right there, I see in you. Those four letters are powerful. Those four letters are powerful, 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 powerful. Why are those four letters powerful? Because you can use those four letters to help empower people to take that next step. It works something just like this, Trey. I see in you a genuine hunger and a desire to become the man God's called you to be. And I believe that you can do what God's called you to do. And I'd like to come alongside you and help you take that next step. I see in you. I see in you. I see in you a hunger. I see in you leadership. I see in you a teaching gift. I see in you hospitality. I see in you a servant's heart. I see in you the gift of a craftsman. I see in you all these things. You know what? Don't just go around saying that to people. It doesn't mean anything if you just say it to everybody. But when you invite those three people into your life and you start building a relationship three months, six months into this thing, start saying, you know what? I see in you. I see in you. 
I see in you God's grace and God's hand on your life. And there's some great things that God can do in you. And I want to bring you in so I can help send you out. The fourth thing, focus on empowering people, not controlling people. Let me give you a revelation. I'm not God and you're not God, so stop trying to control people. The goal is not control. The goal is empowerment. We don't want to control people. We want to empower people to do what God has called them to do, right? Disciples can't be disciples without empowerment. Responsibility without authority is a recipe for disaster. Empower people. Empower people. Let me tell you the greatest way to empower people is encouragement. Encouragement empowers people. You start encouraging people. You start saying, I see in you. And then you encourage them to step into some things they've never stepped into. Right? We said it a while ago. ago, All of us are walking in some things we would have never walked in if it hadn't have been for people that encouraged us to step out. Let me tell you what I love about these four things we just talked about. All four of those things happen in small groups. All four of them. All four of those things happen in small groups. And let me tell you what else I know. Every person in this room can lead a small group. Every person in this room can gather three people around them. Build relationships. Start encouraging them in the things of God. And start helping them take the next steps that God wants them to take in their life. Everybody in this room can do that. I love small groups because small groups just create a natural environment for those four things to begin to happen. The most powerful thing about a small group is not the curriculum. I love curriculum, but it's not the curriculum. It's the relationships that are built as you work through the curriculum together. And all of a sudden, iron sharpens iron, and men's lives and women's lives are changed for the good because we decided to get together and gather around God and His mission and His vision for our lives. I want to close with this last point we've talked about over the last few weeks. God said to me years ago, He said, Keith, don't use people to fulfill the vision. Use the vision to fulfill people. I believe this next step in the heart and the life and the vision of Liberty Church is for each and every one of us here today. God wants you to find the fulfillment that you can only find when you begin to live your life the way God created you to live it. And God is calling us, amen, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Every person in this room can be a level four, level five, you can reproduce and you can multiply every person young or old has that capacity I look at Samantha, her and John West are our youth pastors, Samantha's been leading small groups since she was 15 years old 15 years old leading young girls to Christ well who can a 15 year old lead, a 12 year old who can an 18 year old lead, a 16 year old who can a 20 year old lead, a 19 year old Who can a 50-year-old lead? Just about anybody. (laughs) The reality is, is everybody can lead and help somebody. And that's what we've been called to do. Amen. I want us just to bow our heads. I want to close us in prayer today. With every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you've never made that decision to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Now is the appointed hour. All I know is this. I know there is a God in heaven who loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay a penalty for your sin so you could have his forgiveness and his grace and live eternal life. 
and it's yours today to receive by faith. All you have to do is be willing to receive that gift. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior. Say, God, from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. You can do it, and the reason you can do it is because the price has already been paid. The hard work's already been done. All you've got to do today is receive what God's given you. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do something really bold. I want to ask you to stand to your feet all over this building. If you're watching online, maybe in your living room, I want you just to stand up right where you're at. Just a simple act of faith that says, Today I want to accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life to follow Jesus today. If that's you, I'm going to give you just a few more seconds, and we're going to close in prayer. But if you want to pray to accept Christ right now, just stand up. People are standing right now. People are standing right now. As you stand to your feet, our ushers are going to come. They're going to just slip a little packet in your hand, which is something we want to give you today just to help you take that next step. If there's anyone else here today, go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're standing online, if you'll make sure just to please comment in the box below, let us know you prayed to accept Christ today. We'll be glad to follow up with you, get you some information, help you take that next step. Right now, we're going to pray together. I want to ask everybody in this room to pray this prayer with me out loud. Let's say it out loud. If you're standing to your feet, this is your moment to pray to accept Christ. Let's say it out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, rose again on the third day to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life today to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. If you stood and prayed that prayer today, you received a packet. On the front of that packet is a little card. If you would fill that out, give that to one of our ushers today before you leave. Or come back to our first-time guest area and give it to our team back there. We'd love to welcome you into the family of God and let you know how proud and excited we are to have you with us. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed. See you tonight, 630, here at Campfire for our first interest meeting. God bless you guys. Love you.